before we get started, could you just sing that with me one more time? Because I think I need that. I lift my eyes up. My help comes from the Lord. Three more times. I lift my eyes up. My help comes from the Lord. Two more times. I lift my eyes up. My help comes from the Lord. Make it a confession. I lift my eyes up. My help comes from the Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord, we lift our eyes up to you because you are our God. Without you, Lord, we have nothing. Without you, apart from you, we are lost in our sins, dead in our trespasses and sins, Lord. But because of you, because of your grace, because of your Son coming to us, we have been taken from the domain of darkness and transferred to his kingdom, to the light. Because of you, we have been made alive together with Christ Jesus. And so we come today as Hope Bible Church. We gather today, Lord, to hear from you. We gather today. We lift our eyes up off of our own circumstances. We lift our eyes up from the situations that surround us in life. We lift our eyes up from the trials and the temptations of this fallen world. And God, we confess that our hope is in you alone. Lord, we would not be able to walk this road without you, and so we just come and confess it today. I pray that you would help me now as I bring this body before you and we study your word together. Help me, Lord, uh, to, to take all that I have prepared and all that I have thought about and to speak it clearly and plainly. Uh, I, I do not pretend to come up here and have any anything new to say, Lord, because it's all been said in your word, but I just want to take one more opportunity to gather with your people and to lay before them the perfections of your word and pray that by your spirit and by your help, Lord, that we would be changed, that we would be made more like you, more like our Savior, and that you would be, Lord, that you would be sanctifying us through your word. Your word is truth, and so We confess our need today, I confess my need, and we also, Lord, give thanks that we can gather together and and talk about you and, and, and discuss the riches of this glorious gospel that we are partakers of. We can gather together today and we can worship you in spirit and in truth because of what you've done for us. So thank you for this time. Bless it now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, church, I'm delighted to be with you. Uh, this is my fourth whole sermon in my whole life. And so uh, I, if you're expecting uh, great riches and treasures, maybe I'll let you down. But uh, if you're expecting to hear from a fellow brother in Christ who is convicted uh, that the Word of God is matchless and who has a desire to know how to be able to teach it better and who is studying to have a more ability in that way, then maybe you'll be uh, delighted to be here with us. So we're thankful to have you and thankful to have uh, those that are visiting and thankful to have David and Harry back from the land of Israel. Uh, I just, I, I was here a few days ahead of them. We were on two different trips, but uh, 
Many of you have said, hey, are, are you going to give us an update and give us a report? And I think the answer is still yes, but not yet, because quite frankly, I have hundreds of pictures and, and, and work to do yet to, to finish up my trip. But, uh, but, but I am coming to you today with a text that is uh, inspired by my trip to uh, the land of Jordan and the land of Israel. And so I wanted to uh, take you there today. Um, when, we were, when we were walking in Jerusalem, uh, I, we were out early one morning, and I was pushing towards the front of the line because our illustrious tour guide, the Dr. Bookman, is uh, he's not a young man, but he can walk the streets of Jerusalem as if he were walking the streets of Savannah. And if you've been to Jerusalem, you know that uh, everywhere is up. It's like your grandparents' old story that they walked both ways up the hill in the snow. That's kind of Jerusalem. Like, you rarely go down. You're always just going up. And so uh, I was pushing to the front because I was eager to be near him and to hear what he had to say. And he has a lot to say. <laughs> he has a lot to say. But uh, we were out early one morning. Um, it must have been Sunday or Monday. I don't remember for sure. And we were walking along, and I, I noticed... There are these devout Jewish men. They're in their full attire, and they've got their, their fancy hats on. And, but something that I hadn't really seen before was these leather straps. Maybe we can put that first picture up. There's one. I don't know how well you can see because our projector's not quite good. But you, hey, with the red dot. Well, he's, he's got the leather strap starting on his middle finger and going down his hand and wrapping around his forearm, and, and it leads up to this little box that's maybe like right here on his bicep. And then also he's got a strap going around his neck up to his head, and you might be able to see the little box on top of his forehead. All right? And we've got another picture. Uh, this is one of the IDF, but obviously an Orthodox Jew. You can see better here the picture on the bicep there with the leather strap and the leather box. Thank you. And then again on the, on the forehead. And uh, I... Quite honestly, I hadn't seen this before. If I have, I forgot about it. So I'm, I'm eager to ask, you know, hey, what are those? Maybe you know. It's called a phylactery, a phylactery. And there's another word they use, maybe it's the Hebrew, tefillin, tefillin. And so we saw these, and I'm like, what, what is that? What's the purpose? And, and Bookman says, oh, that's, it's the phylactery. And, and in the Orthodox Jews, they wrap it up, and they put it on there in the morning. And inside of it, it's got a little scroll and on that little scroll has the words um, from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I'm like, okay, I don't remember the words from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Make a mental note. Go home and figure that out, right? Go to the apartment and figure that out later on at the hotel. And then uh, we're, we're walking a little bit longer, and I see uh, these homes, and they've got these little boxes, these little narrow, skinny boxes, and they're mounted sideways on the doorpost of a home in some places in the religious sites. And so naturally, they have them for sale in the stores, too. You can buy one. And I'm saying, oh, okay, uh, question number two. I had a lot of questions. Uh, what is this little box? He says, well, that's like the phylactery, but it's for your house. It's called a mezuzah. I think I'm saying it correctly. And it, it, inside, it has the words of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Okay, two double stars. This is important. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Lord knows couldn't call what was in Deuteronomy chapter 6, but, uh, but that, that's what kind of spurred me on here, and I and, uh, wanted to find out, well, what is it that's so important about Deuteronomy chapter 6? Well, we're going to go there in just a minute, 
But before we do, you can turn there. You remember where Deuteronomy is? My daughter Lydia helped me remember. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book of the Bible. Thank you for the pictures, Jason. Um, it's the fifth book of the Bible. And just to give you a little background while you're turning there and thumbing your way to the sixth chapter, uh, where are we at? What are we reading when we read Deuteronomy chapter 6? Well, here's where we are. You know that the children of Israel were in captivity in Egypt, and at the proper time, the Lord appointed Moses to bring them up out of the land. We won't rehearse the whole narrative there, but you know that after many signs and wonders, after many plagues, they are, they are released by Pharaoh, and they go across on dry land, across the Red Sea, and they go into the wilderness, but they're preparing to go into the land that God had promised many, many hundreds of years ago to the man Abraham, the one who he called out. And he says that I'll make you a great nation. I'll, make you, I'll give you a great name. And I'm going to give you a land for your own possession. And I will make you a blessing so that in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. This is finally coming true. Moses is taking the children of Israel who are uh, myriads and myriads now into the promised land. But you remember what happened, right? The children of Israel, they grumbled, they complained. Uh, Moses called them a stiff-necked people. And uh, because of their constant rebellion and their, their, their constant um, desire to do as they pleased and to turn away from God and, quite frankly, not to even remember what the Lord God had done for them, the Lord said, this faithless generation, they're not going to see. You remember what happened? They were going to the land, and Moses sent 12 spies Ten of them came back shaking in their boots. Only two were faithful, Joshua and Caleb. And Joshua and Caleb said, yeah, yeah, yeah. There are tall, fortified cities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are some big people in the land. But look, the land is fruitful. Look what we've brought back. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. And guess what? God will surely give the people into our hands. He will surely keep his word because he's a covenant-keeping God. He's brought us this far, but you know the people, they turned away from God still, and so he said, you will not inherit the land. What was it? Those 20 and over. And so where we are now in, in the narrative, in the book of Deuteronomy, we are in the 11th month of the 40th year of the wilderness wandering. So that faithless generation had to wander for 40 years in the wilderness instead of taking the promised land. And, you know, conservative estimates say that they were doing multiple funerals per day, every day, for the 40 years as that faithless generation was passing away. And, and then you remember what else happened. Moses himself, instead of speaking to the rock to bring water forth, he went and he hit the rock. Moses himself, because of his act of disobedience was not permitted to go into the land. So we're in the 11th month of the 40th year, which means that Moses is getting ready to die. Now the Lord was gracious to him, and he took him up uh, to, to um, pull the mic back a little bit, too loud. I'll let Matt fix me. Uh, he was gracious to Moses in that he allowed him to go up onto a high mountain, Mount Nebo at Pisgah. This might be one of the stories where Dr. Bookman would say, have you ever been on Mount Nebo? And I would say, oh, yes, I've been to Mount Nebo now. And he showed him the promised land. He saw what it was that, 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 that the children were going to inherit. But, but now, 
we're in this 11th month of the 40th year. Moses is not going to go. And you know what else? All of that faithless generation has died or is about to. And so who is Deuteronomy written to, I guess is the big question. It's written to the children. It's written to the second generation, the ones who are going to inhabit the land. And, and what is he trying to do? He's reminding them about all that the Lord has done. He's reminding them about all that the Lord has called them to. He's reminding them about the law. And right before uh, chapter 6 and chapter 5, he's telling them, hey, here are the Ten Commandments which I've given to you, and this will be the way that you will rightly relate to God and to man. This is the way that you will receive the blessings of the covenant as you enter into the land that I am taking you, that the Lord your God is giving to you. And so that's where we find ourselves today in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, uh, let, me, let me just read the passage for you. So if you're there, we're going to go to verses 4 through 9. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. And hear the word of the Lord. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. This little passage of scripture, at least in part, is what is rolled up and written and stored in that phylactery and in that mezuzah. And the, the Hebrew people now, the Jewish people now, call it the Shema. S, we, we, we transliterate S-H-E-M-A. Can you say that with me? Shema. The Shema. And so... That's the first word that we have. Shema for us translates as the first word of, of verse 4. Hear. Hear. Now, this is not the type of hearing that a lot of us are guilty of doing, which is, um, you know, in one ear and out the other. This calls to mind an active listening, a participation, right? The Hebrew culture was an oral culture. Quite frankly, the Bible was very much oral until we now have it written for us. We've become people who read it. But there was an active listening that was required, especially when you're what? Dealing with God's Word. And furthermore, it has another connotation. Not just listen attentively or listen actively, but it has this, this second feeling of listen and act. Or you might say, hear and do. Have you ever heard that before? Hear and do. The things that you are hearing call for a response. They call for action. And so as the, as the, the Jewish people would, would, would recite this, they would cover their eyes and they would say it from memory and they would say, Shema, O Israel. Hear and do, O Israel, what the Lord has commanded you. The second thing to, to point out here is that if you notice in the first verse, it says, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Notice that you have the capital L and then the smaller caps, O-R-D. That version of the Lord there 
is the covenant, it's the, 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 the personal name of God. We know it as Yahweh. So you might say, Shema O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. And so uh, there's, there's a, a newer translation, the LSB, Legacy Standard Bible, which is now using that word. Instead of saying the Lord, they're saying Yahweh. I kind of like it um, because that is who we worship. We are worshipers of Yahweh God. And so I've got for you this morning five points from this passage, five points, and, and all of them are going to use that name Yahweh. If you haven't spelled it lately, Y-A-H-W-E-H. Did I say that right? Y-A-H-W-E-H. So here's point number one. I'll give you the points and then we'll walk through it rather quickly. Point one is acknowledge the exclusivity of Yahweh. And this comes from verse four. Again, acknowledge the exclusivity of Yahweh. Notice that it says here, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now that word one could be taken in two ways, and I think both ways make good sense, so we'll talk about both of them. The first one could mean he is one, as in God, the one true God, Yahweh, is monotheistic. The, the pagan religions of the world, the Canaanites in the land of Canaan where they're going, they are known for worshiping many gods. They were, they're false gods, they're idols, right? But they worship the sun, they worship the moon, they worship the stars, they, the Egyptians worship the Nile River, right? We can find anything that we want to to worship. They build up idols, they have the Baals, and they have the Ashtaroth. And God is saying, you're going into this land, Israelites, and you cannot worship these other gods. He just finished telling them, you shall have no other gods before me. So there is a claim to monotheism. I am the one true God, which we affirm and we believe. There's another way you could interpret that word is not just one, but it's also alone. So you might read it something like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And that's not just saying, hey, I'm the one true God. He's saying, I'm the only God. I am the only one who's deserving of your worship. So you just kind of take those two and you meld them together, and that's exactly what's happening because you know the children of Israel are a separated nation. They are called out to be holy to the Lord your God. And when you go into the land, you're going to destroy the Canaanites. You're going to tear down their altars in high places. You are going to utterly ruin their, their, their bales and their, their false gods. You shall have no other God before me. So that's point number one. We must acknowledge the exclusivity of Yahweh. Point number two comes from verses five and six. This is point two. Be wholly devoted to Yahweh. That's W-H. Be wholly devoted to Yahweh. Let's read verses five and six again. It says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now, you see there's a three-part division there. Heart, soul, and might. Uh, in this Semitic mind, it, it seems that maybe there's something to that, where the heart is like the seat of the emotions and the affections. 
The soul is maybe like the personhood, right? When Adam was in the garden, he was formed from the dust of the ground, and then God breathed into him, nefesh, the, the life, the soul. And maybe the might, that could, that could be your, you know, your strength, your physical body. It could just be your, your will and your desire to do. I don't think that Moses is trying to get into the modern controversies of, you know, a dichotomy versus a trichotomy. How many parts are we made up of? We could certainly discuss that. I would love to talk about that with you. But I think that what we see is this threefold repetition where he says, all your heart, and again, all your soul, and again, all your might. So I think it's best and it's simplest to just say, God is saying, you must be wholly devoted to me. You must love me in the most total way that you can. You must be giving of me your entire self because I am the creator of everyone and everything. I am the owner of you. You are, effectively, you're no longer enslaved to Pharaoh. We are no longer enslaved to our sin. We are joyfully, willfully enslaved to the Lord as our God, and we worship him alone. So that's point number two. I think Jesus makes this point too. If you want to just hold Deuteronomy 6 and flip to the New Testament, you can go to the book of Mark, second book of the New Testament, and go to chapter 12. Hope I'm in the right spot. I am. So in Mark chapter 12, now Jesus has already come into the city. He's already been, you know, welcomed as king in the triumphal entry. And now here, he's just gotten finished schooling the Sadducees, who evidently didn't believe in the resurrection. And uh, one of the scribes, one of the Pharisees, comes up to him, and he says... Uh, he says, which commandment, this is 1228, which commandment is the most important of all? So he brings this, this question before Jesus. And Jesus answers him, the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. So the Lord Jesus is here directly quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, and he's saying this is the greatest commandment. Notice that he has a fourfold division there. I don't think he's trying to change anything. I think it's just calling to mind then again that totality. Be wholly devoted to Yahweh, who is the one true God. Notice what Jesus says. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And there's no commandment greater than these. So I think that's interesting. You know, he, he'll also say in the parable of the Good Samaritan, you know, who is my neighbor? Now someone comes and says, who is my neighbor? And he says, oh, it's the one who's near you that needs help, right? Um, someone jokingly said before, who, who is my closest neighbor? And I think it's the, the person next to you in your bed, your wife and your children. And uh, I, even as I consider this, I, I, I really think that this is important. If you want to come to point number three with me, uh, it's going to come out of verse 7, back in Deuteronomy 6, verse 7. And point number three has to do with those closest relationships with you. I'm calling it, teach your children about Yahweh. Again, point number three, teach your children about Yahweh. You could say, teach your families about Yahweh, if you want to say it that way. Let's read verse 7 together. You shall teach them diligently to your children. What are we teaching? The words that I've commanded you today. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, 
and when you rise. I think we have to ask the question, why is Moses pressing this issue so much? Why is he pressing this issue of teaching them to your children? Well, I think if you look at that first generation that passed away, is it not possible that they didn't teach their children? Is it not possible that they didn't tell them about how they walked across the Red Sea on dry ground and how then when Pharaoh and his army came in that the Lord caused the waters to go back over? Is it possible that they didn't tell them about the water coming from the rock or the bitter water being turned sweet or the manna that fell from heaven and how they had just enough for the day or the quail that then came and was pouring out? Is it possible that they didn't tell them, hey, you know clothes are supposed to wear out, but yours haven't? Is it possible that that first faithless, stiff-necked generation had not taught their children about the Lord? I think Moses is pressing the issue because this second generation who's about to take the land, they need to know. They need to believe. They're going to have to say, God didn't make the covenant with our fathers. He made it with us. It has to be our faith. Is it not the same for us? Is it not the same? I tell my children, you cannot be saved because daddy and mommy are saved. And there is nothing in our power to save you. But what do we do? We have a responsibility. We have to teach them about the Lord. We have to tell the next generation. Why in the world are we in the place where we are? People who I grew up with and went to church and who, you know, I mean, they had great families. I'm not blaming their parents by any stretch. Each child has their own decision to make. But they, are, they have walked away from the Lord. They have left the faith altogether. And I just, I'm convicted personally as a father and Heather and I as a, as a, as a parenting team. We're convicted. We've got to tell our kids about this. And I think simply it starts with the narrative. What has the Lord done? Tell them about his great and mighty works. Tell them about his awesome deeds. Tell them about his steadfast love and his faithfulness that reaches to a thousand generations. Because if he did it for them, church, he will do it for us. If he did it for them, he will do it for us. And so I think Moses is pressing the issue, and I think that we should, we should care about the issue. And notice how he says it here. You shall teach them diligently to your children and talk to them when you sit in the house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you wake up. And I think that just about covers it. Isn't that the life of a parent? (laughs) What is parenting? It's when you sit in the house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you wake up. The only time you're not parenting is when you're asleep, except for You know, if you're dreaming about parenting or, you know, they happen to be waking up in the middle of the night needing itchy cream for their bug bite, you know, like last night. Uh, You're always parenting. You're always living. And whether or not you, you know, you work out of the home or whatever the case is, that you know, you understand that the children are a full-time job. And I think in the same way, Moses is instructing the people, hey, this full-time job requires full-time work. So you're going to teach them diligently. I do think that might be a call for some sort of formalized instruction. And and then I think the the other part, maybe you could take that and say that's a little bit more informal. When? When we're sitting on the couch. When we're in the car. When we're walking to the park. When we're laying down for bed. When we wake up in the morning. What does that mean to be totally and wholly devoted to God? To be... uh, devoted to him alone and to be teaching our children about that, I think that that's just a life 
lifelong experience. It's not about any one special spiritual moment. It's about a lifetime of living faithfully in front of your kids. It is about, yes, teaching them specifically. Sit down. Explain to them the scriptures. If you don't understand it, get help and come back. You know, humility goes a long ways in telling your kids you don't know everything. But I'm, I'd like to figure that out and I'd like to help you know it. There's that. But I think it's also just those times. And I, I, t- I talked to Heather about this the other day. Just, Lord, give us ears to hear when they are asking those questions. And it is a ripe opportunity for us to tell them about the Lord. It is a ripe opportunity for us to take the things we've been reading and the things we've been studying and say, how do we apply this to our kids? How do we help them to know this covenant-keeping, steadfast, loving God? And so uh, I, I just that's an encouragement there. Teach your children about Yahweh, both formally and informally. Hey, and if you have questions about that, I'm no, I'm no perfect one, but I've been practicing it for a few years now, and I love to discuss that with you. Let's go on to point number four, and this is a little bit of Tyler speak here. So point number four is, Remember to remember Yahweh. Remember to remember Yahweh. And this comes out of verses 8 and 9. You know, the phylactery and the mezuzah, those are sort of modern inventions. I don't think Jesus was walking around with phylactery. Uh, I don't think that the children of Israel had phylacteries. Uh, I think this was something that came about, if I, if I remember correctly, maybe in the 1800s. Uh, not to say it's not a useful tool. I think the closest thing we have in the evangelical church was our WWJD bracelets from the 90s. Some of you still wear that, right? But, but I, it has a point. Remember to remember, because what does the Lord know most about his creatures is that we are forgetful, and, and God knows I am forgetful. I've, I've encouraged David before when he said, oh, I've said this a hundred times, or I feel like I, I keep going back to it, but I'm like, we need to hear it again. We need to hear it again. And so I think the encouragement here is remember to remember Yahweh. Let's read verses 8 and 9. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So if that's a WWJD bracelet for you, then more power to you. Bind it on your hands. If you, I wouldn't recommend writing on your head, but if you want to put sticky notes on the mirror in your bathroom or on your car, you know, those types of things. Or like me, I just put sticky notes on my desk. And, and it, to me, it is just remember to remember the Lord, because how often have I woken up and not remembered the Lord? How often have I been sitting at work and the frustrations of the day have made the best of me, and I have not remembered the Lord? How often have I laid down in bed at night and I've prayed for my kids, but I've not truly remembered the Lord. And so I think the call here is to remember, to remember Yahweh. And how do we remember? That's up to you. How do you remember? I don't know. But I think it needs to be centered on the Word of God and on prayer, because those are the two ways that He's given us to know Him. We need to be soaking up and being saturated in His Word, and we need to pray His Word and the simplest way that I've, that I've learned to do that is to read the Word and then pray it back, you know, and, and then write it down. Uh, if I've talked to a brother or sister or somebody throughout the week and I need to remember to remember, I put it in my phone and I make reminders and, and, and beepers and all sorts of things because I am forgetful. But I want to be a person who more and more is remembering to remember Yahweh. 
remember the Lord your God. And that brings us up to the last point in here, which I, I think can be taken in, in totality. Uh, if you take the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and take all of this. What, what are we trying to accomplish here? What are we trying to for For Moses, the children of Israel were entering into the promised land. Again, they were being instructed on how will you receive the blessings of the covenant in this land. Because obedience means blessing, disobedience means cursing. For us, how are we, what are we trying to accomplish here? And I think on this side of the cross, as ones who are beneficiaries of the new covenant that's made through the blood of Jesus Christ that we celebrate when we take the Lord's Supper, I think this is simply it. We are seeking to live lives which are pleasing to Yahweh. And that's, that's point number five, if you're taking notes. Live lives pleasing to Yahweh. I want to take you back to the New Testament one more time, if you can find Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. And Paul is writing to the church at Colossae, and he is, he, is, he is overjoyed with their response to the gospel and with the way that they have been living. He's giving thanksgiving to God. And then in verse 9, he says this, And so, from the day we heard, again, from the day we heard of your response and of your living, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, and I underline this, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Isn't that us? We have been transferred from the, from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son, the kingdom of Christ. And if you go back to, to verse 10, I, I just think this sums it up. What are we trying to do with all of this? We're trying to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We are trying to act and behave as those who are Christians. Not out of compulsion, out of love. Not because we have to, but because we get to. We are joyfully submitted to Christ. We walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. What's the goal? Bearing fruit in every good work. Are they good works so that we can be saved? No, they're good works because we are saved. We're saved unto good works. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that he has prepared good works beforehand so that we should walk in them. That is the fruit that is in keeping with repentance. That is the fruit of sanctification. That is the fruit of maturity, of growing in Christ's likeness as believers. Bearing fruit in every good work and doing what? increasing in the knowledge of God. We are not to stay where we once were. I just heard two wonderful testimonies of salvation this morning and how the Lord has brought this family to know Him. And we remember the sweetness of that first time, especially when we've been brought from our own 
wretched ways and we say, wow, this is how I was living. This is how I was walking. This is how I was thinking. And the Lord has transformed me. He has changed me. Amen and amen. And now we grow in godliness. And that's what I think we're doing here. We are, we are living lives that are pleasing to Yahweh. And I think that's what the Shema, this prayer, this scripture from Deuteronomy 6 is getting at for us. Now I'm, I'm getting close to the end, and so I want to give you uh, six more points, threes and threes. So we have our five points at the top. I'll rehearse them very quickly. One, acknowledge the exclusivity of Yahweh. Two, be wholly devoted to Yahweh. Three, teach your children about Yahweh. Four, remember to remember Yahweh. Amen and amen. And five, live lives pleasing to Yahweh. And now I've got three points of application and three points of prayerful consideration. And now this is just the, this is the fruit of my labor of thinking through this and thinking through my own life situation. And I pray that it would also be uh, effectual for you. So, if we take this, if we are trying to live lives that are pleasing to God, and we take this prayer, this Shema from Deuteronomy 6, what might we need to do? What might be some action points for us? That's where we are. And so, I, simple. Nothing rocket science here. Point number one, study God's word for understanding and clarity. That's why I went to Israel. That's why I've enrolled in Shepherd's Theological Seminary and taken classes slow as a turtle. <laughs> but it's my desire to study God's word for understanding and clarity. This sermon is a result of that because I am, I, you know, I told David to back up for a minute, and I told Matt, and I've told Tony, but uh, I've been teaching for 13 years officially as a teacher, and I said that I'd like to be able to teach the Bible like I teach music. You know, I don't write out a big script whenever I teach music. I have my bullet points, and I know my content. And don't get me wrong, I know the Bible. But that's, that's what I'm trying to do here. Study God's Word for understanding and clarity. Tyler's version, be able to teach with a few bullet points and go from there, right? So that's where we are. And I think that's a point you could take wherever you are in your walk. Study God's Word for understanding and clarity. Point two, practice applying God's Word as wisdom for life, because that's what it is. Uh, the, the president of Shepherd's Seminary, Stephen Davies, also the pastor of Shepherd's Church, he has a, a ministry called Wisdom for Life, and I, I love his simple way of taking the scripture and taking that theological principle and simmering it down and just saying it so plainly. He could preach for an hour, but he can also preach for five minutes, and, and you, get, you get exactly the point, and I think that's what, I'm, that's what we're shooting for practice applying God's word. It's not just in a teaching. This is in a living lives that are pleasing to Yahweh. We don't want to just know his word and understand his word and be theologically puffed up. We want to be practically applying God's word because it is wisdom for life. Point number three is uh, that we should seek opportunities to teach God's word. And just like teaching our children, there could be a formal aspect to that. There could be an informal aspect to that. For most of us, it'll be fairly informal. It will be teaching our children. Or uh, elsewhere in Deuteronomy, it says, teach your children and your children's children. So, uh, mom, dad, you're not off the hook. You know what I'm saying? Like, the grandparents have a job, those who are believing, to see that continue through generations and generations. What are some other ways that you might do that? You can teach in your home, that is, your, your, your family, your children. You could teach in your church. 
right? <laughs> We've had such a, uh, a blessed year in, in that uh, one year ago we did our first Hope Summer Bible Camp with the kids, and we, we've had, um, well, we might have had two years now, I can't remember. We've had at least one really great year of Sunday school, and we've got to see uh, gifted teachers teaching and, and new teachers teaching, and what a, what a blessing it is to see people do things that they didn't think they could do because the Lord has given them uh, the ability to do it. But uh, hey, pray about how you might be able to teach in your church. I'm doing that. And then... Um, Another place, hey, what about in your workplace? In your workplace. Just two quick examples. One of them was uh, this, this sweet lady that I worked with. She just retired. She was right next door to me. I found out she was a believer. And um, I would just love to go and discuss the scripture with her. And I think it maybe turned into teaching. I didn't mean for it to. But she would just say, hey, let's talk about that more. And, and opportunities, well, now someone else walked in and they're not a believer. But um, hey, you can come in on our conversation. And all of a sudden, that opens up a door, a window, an opportunity to share God's word. The second one that was dumped in my lap was the Christian Fellowship Club, which was a group of students. And, Tyler, you can lead that, right? Sure I can, right? And so I, I don't know what your situation looks like. It doesn't have to be formal, but pray about how you might seek opportunities to teach God's word. And then maybe for you students, especially you older students, how might you teach God's word in your school it doesn't have to be formal. You don't have to be the teacher. It can be discussing the scriptures with your friends. That's what discipleship is. Um, so that's it. Study God's word for understanding and clarity. Practice applying God's word as wisdom for life. Seek opportunities to teach God's word. And then I'd like to just offer three points of prayerful consideration because I realize that we're all in different, in different parts in our walk and we're all in different levels of, of, of service and what that looks like. Um, so here's just three things to consider, okay? And I'll, I'll close with this. Number one, I think we have to pray for a conviction. And if you're a believer, you should have that conviction. I am convicted that God's word is entirely true, entirely trustworthy, and entirely sufficient to deal with my life. You understand that? Then you have to pray for a desire. I desire to apply his word to my life. And then third, you have to pray for the ability to do it. So these are the three points. Conviction, desire, and ability. Let's play those out again. I'm convicted that I should teach my children about the Lord. However, sometimes my desire is lacking. And more than that, I feel like I don't have the ability to do it as well as I should. Maybe you are convicted. I'm convicted that this is the right thing to do. Maybe your desire doesn't match that, or maybe you even have the desire to do something, but you're concerned about your ability. And I think, just to close it out there, we know, we just talked about it, that the Lord has given us everything we need for life and godliness. He has prepared good works beforehand that we should walk in them. And my admonishment, my encouragement to you, wherever you sit today, wherever you find yourself, is to prayerfully consider how am I going to do these things? How will I act upon it? How will I not be complicit like the stiff-necked and faithless generation of the Israelites who did not enter the promised land? How will I take this and say, no, this is my own. You've made this covenant not with my fathers, but with me. How will I take this faith and pass it on to those who are beyond me? How is it that I will go about remembering to remember the Lord in my daily life? 
And how is it that by His grace I will live a life that is pleasing to Him? It's not rocket science, but it is the Shema. And remember, the Shema is hear and do. We want to be not just hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word as well. And we can only do that with the strength the Lord provides. So uh, with that, I'll close. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to come with these brothers and sisters in Christ who, uh, who love you, Lord, who are indeed seeking out how they might grow in godliness, how they might uh, live lives that are pleasing to you. Lord, I know that we are all in different places, but that you, uh, being God of the universe and being one who knows all things at all times, Lord, you are fully able to care for each of us where we are. And I pray that, that even in some small way today that this sermon has been a way to encourage us, Lord, that we might be uh, like that second generation of Israelites, that we might be willing to make this our own, that we might be willing to pass our faith on to the next generation, that we might be able to be hearers of the word and doers of the word, that we might even say to ourselves, Hear, O Christian, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, that we might serve you, Lord, with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our strength, with all of ourselves, Lord, because we are not our own. We belong to you. We have died to ourselves and we are alive in Christ. We are alive to you. And though we will walk different paths and you will bring us into different places, Lord, we can live lives that are devoted to you, holy. We can live lives that are reflecting of your glory. We can teach others about you, Lord, whether that be in formal instruction or informally. We can labor to tell the next generation about you, Lord. We can know your word and understand your word. We can seek to apply your word to our own lives, but it will not be in our own strength or in our own wisdom that we will do it. It will be in your strength that you provide. It will be because we have the spirit of the living God inside of us. So I pray for your help. I pray for your, that you would be with each of my brothers and sisters, that you would be with Hope Bible Church, and that increasingly we would be a body who is devoted to living lives that are pleasing to you, and that even as the world looks, that they would see that we are a people who hear the word and a people who do the word. Now, we thank you for the time. We pray you would help us as we turn to the Lord's Supper to remember Jesus Christ who was given for us. And uh, we pray these things now in his name. Amen. So come, Lord Jesus, come. Lord Jesus, come. Church, we're not big on benedictions, but I sure do love them, so you're getting one today. Matthew 7, 24 and 25. I think it has to do with the Shema here. Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. So may, be, may we be a people, hope, who hear and do according to the words of the Lord and be people who are building our lives upon that rock. We love you, church. Have a great week.